Welcome to the Mind Body Breakthroughs Podcast, where we bring you amazing guests on the cutting edge of science, health, and business each week to share strategies you can use to get the breakthrough that you are looking for in your life. I am your host, Chris Donahue, and with me is my co-host, Dr. Nevada Gray. We're so glad that you're joining us today, and we'd like to invite you to join our free, private Facebook community, Mind Body Breakthroughs. The views expressed on the Mind Body Breakthroughs podcast are the opinions of the hosts and guests and are not to be taken as medical advice, as the hosts and guests do not provide medical care. Information provided is for educational purposes only. You should consult your medical provider in relation to your personal health and prior to making any changes in your diet or fitness. Dr. Stephen Hussey is a chiropractor and functional medicine practitioner. He attained both his doctorate of chiropractic and master's in human nutrition and functional medicine from the University of Western States in Portland, Oregon. He is the author of two books on health, The Health Evolution, Why Understanding Evolution is the Key to Vibrant Health, and The Heart, Our Most Medically Misunderstood Organ. Dr. Hussey guides clients, or health participants, as he likes to call them, from around the world back to health by using the latest research and health-attaining strategies. In his downtime, he likes to be outdoors, playing sports, reading, writing, and spending time with his wife and their pets. All right. Well, Dr. Stephen Hussey, we are so excited to have you back on the show People are really enjoying our Heart Health series, and it is just a pleasure and an honor to have America's Heart Coach back with us today. How are you doing, sir? Pretty good. It's awesome to be back. I'm excited to get going. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, after our first interview, we have just been inundated with questions. People are so excited uh, about this Heart Health series, and just delving into a lot of topics that are not very well known. And so today what we wanted to do is focus in a little bit about the heart itself. What is it like for real? How does it work? Get into some of the inner workings. Have you unpack some of that for us? And I think it's just going to be a very interesting and informative episode. So without any further ado, tell us about the heart. What is it and what does it do? Yeah, so uh, you know, in, in medical school, um, in just your general anatomy class, when you learn about the heart, you're learning it uh, as this, uh, what I guess what you describe as a pressure propulsion pump, and so that's what most people think of as as you know your your um, anything that would pump fluid. So basically, how that works is you're taking water that's in a static system, say like a reservoir or something. And you're forcefully, you know, sucking that water in and then forcefully pumping it somewhere else. Uh, that would be a pressure propulsion pump. Um, and so uh, when we look at the heart as a pressure propulsion pump, there's a really interesting study um, where they looked at the efficiency, um, like the amount of energy that was expended uh, from one myocardial cell and looked at the efficiency of how much energy that cell um, expended and then the work that it did. So the, the fluid that was pumped. 
Uh, and at the end of the study, they they determined that looking at the heart as a pressure propulsion pump, it's about 15% efficient. Um, and so that doesn't really make sense to me. Um, right. Why would evolution select for something that was only 15% efficient? Um, and so also when we look at um, even the the guy, William Harvey, who wrote Dumontu Cordis, which was the original description of the circulatory system, um, even he is quoted in a letter to his friend saying that he didn't believe the heart was the fashioner of the blood or the mover of the blood. Um, and then there was many, like when that theory came out, um, uh, there was many um, scientists and, and studiers of the, the hemodynamic system um, that disagreed with the heart as a, a pressure propulsion pump. They said that it would be impossible. One guy said that uh, it would take the heart the size of a whale's heart to move the blood uh, like that through our whole arterial system. So um, it just became kind of common knowledge. So that um, begs the question of, of what is the heart? So and why is it there? Um, if it's not the the mover of the blood, um, then why is it there? And so there's three main roles of the heart uh, to me, and that is uh, one that it it vortexes the blood, which means it swirls the blood, uh, kind of like you know uh, a tornado swirling, you know, spinning the blood. Um, it helps maintain the pressure in the whole system. Um, without it there, the pressure in the system would collapse. And um, the third thing is that it is it's kind of like um, I see it as kind of like the uh, not the, not the regulator, but the kind of perceiver of our emotional state. Um, it's triggering to our um, autonomic nervous system through the vagus nerve, our emotional state. And, you know, for whatever reason, we have this very emotional connection to the heart. That's why we say, I love you with all my heart, and you gave it all your heart, and these types of things. Um, and so based on our emotional state uh, being interpreted by the heart, um, our, our autonomic nervous system gets an idea of what kind of emotional state we're in. So those are the three things. So um, the first one, vortexing. So there's a really important, I think probably the most important role of the heart is to vortex the blood. So there were some studies done back in the, they did them in the 1940s and they repeated them in the 1960s. And they showed that, um, the one in the 60s, done in the 60s, um, showed that, uh, and it was done, it was done in dogs and sorry to all the dog lovers out there, but, uh, when the heart stopped, um, that, the blood continued to move for up to two hours um, after the heart had stopped beating. Um, and, and the dog wasn't breathing, so the lungs weren't moving. Uh, the, the blood was just moving, you know, quote unquote, on its own um, after the heart stopped beating. And so the reason for that is, is that the, it's kind of, this may be a long explanation, but the, the, the blood is mostly water, or not mostly water, but half water, about half water. The plasma in the blood is about half water. And water has some very unique properties. Uh, and this is the work of Dr. Gerald Pollack um, from the University of Washington. He's been studying water almost his whole career. And he's found that when you put water that's holding energy um, next to a hydrophilic surface, so water-loving surface, it will actually form what's called, uh, what they've called in their lab, fourth-phase water or structured water um, or easy water um, next to that surface. And so if you have... If your hydrophilic surface is a tube, um, then there's that layer of water forms, as long as there's energy to the blood, to the water, uh, forms all the way around that tube. And 
the thing about the structured water is that it's very negative because of the way it forms. It cleaves off a hydrogen and an oxygen and leaves another hydrogen by itself. And so uh, the part of the water molecule that builds up the fourth phase water is more negative because oxygen is a bigger molecule. And so that's a very negative area. And then the hydrogens concentrate in the middle and they're positive. So we get this energy gradient uh, and that energy gradient can actually create flow. Um, and so Dr. Pollock has shown this over and over again. You apply energy to the system, which is the water. You put a hydrophilic tube in the water and the water starts moving through the tube with no force acting on it. Um, and so that's what um, is moving the blood, which is why th the blood was moving in those dogs for up to two hours after they died. Eventually, um, the, since the heart had stopped beating, the blood lost its energy. Um, the, the water lost its energy and um, you know the, the life force, I guess, the dog of the dog kind of eventually went out of it. And so it stopped moving. But the relevance of that is, is that ways that we energize water, we put energy in water, are radiant light, uh, which is why the sunlight feels so good for us. It's why infrared saunas have been shown to increase blood flow, um, especially in people with, you know, um, congestive heart failure and things like that, uh, tremendously, because that's what we're doing. We're building fourth phase water in their arteries and promoting the flow. Um, and then also swirling, vortexing the water has been shown to increase the structuring of it. And so guess what the heart does? It, it vortexes things. And the reason the vortexing, um, like people have seen like in a, in a stream or a river, like if water flows past a rock and on the other side it kind of eddies, um, that's, that's the vortexing. Uh, and, you know, there's the reason that it energizes it is because it puts it in more contact. When it swirls it like that, it puts it in more contact with the oxygen. So I think it's no mistake that the vortexing organ, our heart, is right next to the oxygen receiving organ, our lungs, and that the blood goes from the heart to the lungs back to the heart. Um, because as it swirls it, it, when it gets more oxygen, it's just, it's, it's um, energizing it more. And so if you look at how the, the heart works, and there's lots of um, studies on this showing that, you know, the um, optimal vortex formation as the blood goes through the heart uh, is indicative of better heart function. Uh, and so what's happening is as the, as the blood's coming from the um, veins through the inferior and superior vena cava, it doesn't like collide into each other. It actually kind of moves past each other and then swirls. So there's the first thing. Um, as it moves through, um, or in, it goes into the right atrium, and then it, as it goes through um, the atrial valve, uh, when it goes through there, it kind of swirls and eddies on either side as it goes through the valve. And actually, Leonardo da Vinci was the first one to, to draw this. He's got some crazy drawings of, of the heart moving through those valves. And then when it's in the ventricle, um, if you look at the, the orientation of the muscles of the ventricle, especially the innermost layer, they're, they're kind of uh, in a spiral pattern. So as it contracts, it kind of spirals the blood uh, as it uh, contracts and kind of sort of pushes the, um, the blood out because it's not really pushing it. It's actually just trying to spin it. Uh, the blood's kind of moving through on its own, as we've talked about. And then as it goes through uh, the pulmonary valve um, out into the, the pulmonary artery, uh, it swirls past that, um, uh, past the, the valve again. So there's multiple areas where this swirling happens. Uh, and it's really cool. Actually, like it was actually a long time ago, maybe three, four months ago, I actually posted a, somebody did like a, uh, some imaging of cardiomyopathy. And you can actually see the blood swirling inside the heart. 
uh, like spinning around really quickly. Um, so if people want to go check that, it's, it's on my Instagram somewhere way back away uh, ways. But um, it was really cool to me because I actually, you know, first time I actually saw it visibly happening. Um, so yeah, that's that's the the first role of the heart is the vortex, the blood. How does that sound? That sounds amazing. Um, it's super interesting because being classically trained in nursing school and pharmacy school, we were never taught about the heart in that way. We were taught um, as a pump, that it pumps and there's a whole conduction system. And when the conduction system goes awry and you get rogue pacemakers, you end up getting arrhythmias. And But the heart was never explained to us in this fashion. So this is a completely different way to view the heart. Uh, for a lot of people uh, in healthcare and out of healthcare. So this is extremely interesting. So how does the heart maintain the pressure then? Uh, because yeah. you said that that's, that's the second role of the heart. So how, how does that work? Yeah, so, um, and I mean, as far as the conduction system, like it, it still is very relevant because we, it's, it's what's telling the, the muscles to contract, um, which is important because that's what's causing the, the um, vortexing to happen as the heart contracts, it still swirls it. So, um, and the pacing of it is important because it needs to happen um, when the, the ventricle, ventricle becomes full. Otherwise, we're just vortexing nothing. You know, we don't want that. Um, and I think that arrhythmias and, and conduction system problems, that's actually what we see. We actually see congestive heart failure and things like that because the blood's not getting vortexed. So it's not getting energized. So then it can't move through the system like it's supposed to. And we end up getting edema like in our feet and stuff like that. Um, so the second thing is, is that it's there to maintain the pressure. So if um, so now we know that the blood is is moving on its own for the most part. And the heart does a little bit of pumping and movement of our muscles also helps with blood flow as well. Um, but now we know that the blood has kind of this mechanism that it can use to, to move on its own. Um, provided that we have a healthy, you know, structured water there on the lining of the arteries. Um, so the water's moving through its own, on its own. Now imagine if we had a river, which is kind of like, you know, imagine this, uh, the flow of arteries, the flow of blood through the artery is a river. Um, if we wanted to uh, influence that water, or, or I guess what I'm trying to say is that it wouldn't make sense to put a pressure propulsion pump in the middle of the river, right? The water's already moving, um, it, it, so we don't need it there uh, because the pressure propulsion pump is taking static water and forcefully moving it somewhere else, whereas uh, the, the heart is placed right in the middle of this circulation. So why is it there? Um, it's there because if it, if it wasn't there, the pressure in the whole system would collapse, um, especially under um, uh, like increased uh, metabolism. So... They've done a lot of studies in uh, soccer players. Well, I say a lot, but it's like a few uh, in soccer players um, where they're showing that the the hypertrophy of the heart of a conditioned athlete is actually hypertrophy because it's the heart is very effective at stopping the flow of blood, not forcefully pumping it anywhere. And so if you look at the, the chambers of the, the heart that actually get the most hypertrophied, it's the ones where the blood is coming into the heart very forcefully. So since the blood's moving on its own, uh, the increased um, blood flow when we exercise comes from metabolic demand from the tissues. The tissues um, need more oxygen. They need more nutrients as we're exercising. 
and so the um, the arteries can constrict, um, contract and constrict and, and make the blood flow um, faster, um, but it's all coming from metabolic demand. And so then it's all the blood is going to the arterial side. It's rushing to that side because that side of the system because we need uh, more oxygen and more nutrients. And if the heart wasn't there to slow the flow of blood toward the arterial side, then all of it would go to the arterial side and the venous side would collapse. Um, mm. So what the heart's really doing is is stopping that from happening. And they've actually done some studies that show that when you um, when metabolic demand in the tissues becomes so high because you're working out so hard that there's actually um, the heart has to kind of you know throw up its hands and kind of uh, give up as far as the um, the stopping of the blood flow because it needs so much in that direction. But the fact that it's there is just helping maintain the pressure. So that begs the question of of what would we call the heart? Um, and it's more accurately described, I think, as a hydraulic ram. Um, and this was an idea originally put forth by um, Rudolf Steiner. I think he was the original one, um, who was an Austrian philosopher, and, and he did a lot of things. He was a smart guy. Um, but uh, it's a hydraulic ram. So people don't know what that is. It's, it's kind of hard to explain without, without visuals, um, but you can look up how a hydraulic ram pump, so to speak, quote-unquote, um, works on YouTube. Um, but basically, it's the uh, hydraulic ram is flow dependent, meaning there's no there's no um, you know electrical source or or um, energy requirement to it. If if fluid of some sort is flowing into the hydraulic ram, then it will operate. Um, so usually, what we what we see is like they'll put the hydraulic ram lower than uh, say like a, a creek bed or, or a reservoir, and they'll put a pipe up to the reservoir, and the water will be coming down flowing from the reservoir into um, the hydraulic ram. And so it'll first, it first comes to uh, one chamber and that chamber begins to fill with fluid. And as that chamber um, fills with fluid, increases pressure in the system. And then when it gets enough pressure, it actually opens another valve um, that pushes it into the next chamber. Um, and so when it gets into the next chamber, uh, that chamber is filled with air. And so the fluid flows into the next chamber to the point where the air is so compressed that the air starts pushing back down against it. And that closes the original valve it came through and then pushes it out a new valve. Um, and hopefully people are seeing the, the, um, the congruency here between what I just described and, and the heart. You know, we have blood flowing from the veins into the, the atrium. And as the atrium fills up and comes under pressure, uh, the atrial valve opens and then it flows into the uh, uh, right ventricle. And uh, as it flows into the ventricle, pressure builds up in the ventricle. Now, there's not really much air in the ventricle um, to push the pressure back, but instead of the air pocket that, that changes the pressure and pushes it out the new valve, the pulmonary valve, we have a contracting ventricle. So there's one difference between the hydraulic ram and the, and the heart is that it has this air pocket, the heart has this contracting ventricle. So when you look at the heart, it's really two hydraulic rams put together, the right side and the left side. Um, and so then it goes up to the lungs and comes back and goes through the, the left atrium and left ventricle and does this hydraulic ram process again. So um, pretty fascinating. But yeah, without the heart right there in the middle of this circulation, we would get collapse. And there was a guy, the guy who originally showed that the physics of this system of the, of the heart as a pressure repulsion pump doesn't work. It was this guy named Weber or Weber. Um, and he basically designed this uh, system using um, the ileum. Uh, like sections of the intestine uh, and, and set it up 
as similar as he could to um, our cardiovascular system and tried to tried to pump blood through it efficiently with a pressure propulsion pump, and he just could not get it to work. The physics of the system did not work um, because he was missing a lot of aspects, like the blood flow on its own, the hydraulic ram, all these different things. Um, so that's the second thing. Um, how does that sound? Any questions about that? No, that is absolutely fascinating. And uh, <laughs> one of the things that, that struck me is uh, with, with you talking about sunshine and the role that it plays. Um, one of those writers, and I forget which one, was talking about like how a tree draws all of the liquid in it from its roots and brings it up throughout the entire tree without a pump and using these types of uh, structured water, osmotic action, charge. And uh, it, it's just fascinating to me that we are so much more like that than we want to believe we're so much more uh photosynthetic uh the the sun is actually involved with they say 270 body processes mm -hmm. uh, the production of vitamin b vitamin d being just one of them and so i think it is just uh really fascinating and puts things into context and maybe explains some of the effectiveness of like grounding, getting out and connecting with the earth, sunshine, fresh water, uh, all of these things play a huge role on our cardiovascular system that we don't give enough credit to. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just super fascinated by all of that. Now talk to us about the heart as the sensor of our emotional state. How does that work? Yeah, so our... You know, our vagus nerve um, is the is the nerve of the autonomic nervous system. So basically information traveling through the vagus nerve is telling your body whether you're in a safe or a threatening environment based on the condition of your organs, um, in my opinion. So um, if we look at, I mean, there's there's so much literature out there talking about how the, the gut is kind of like a sensory organ. So our body is kind of getting a sense of what our external environment looks like by what our guts looks like. Um, so if our gut is inflamed, that can actually lead to or, or, um, imbalances in our autonomic nervous system. But the gut and the heart um, are arguably the two most innervated by the, the vagus nerve. And so people think that, um, or at least, you know, we're taught anatomically that the, the vagus nerve that goes to the heart kind of goes to the um, right atrium, which is where the SA node is, and the SA node is what is kind of uh, keeping pace of the, the pulse and the con, um, contractility of the heart, kind of uh, telling it when to contract, when to, when to vortex the blood, really. Um, and, uh, but actually, it's been shown that uh, the vagus nerve um, has an effect and contacts every single section of the heart. Um, so, and it goes two ways. I mean, we're finding out now that your gut sends more signals to your brain than your brain sends to your gut, that kind of thing. So if that's happening in the gut, I would imagine the same thing's happening through the vagus nerve in the heart. And so there's, like I mentioned before, there's there's this reason that we say things like, I love you with all my heart, and and you gave it all your heart. And and when we're experiencing heartache, you know, it feels like this pressure uh, in our chest. Uh, and I, the reason being, I think, is that the heart... Uh, based on the emotions that we feel is relaying those signals to the autonomic nervous system. So it knows what kind of response to have and vice versa. 
um, you know, our thoughts and things are influencing um, uh, the, way, the way we think about things, and that's being related to our heart, and our heart is feeling that emotion. So the, the, the pathway is both ways. But there's this big connection um, between our heart and our emotional state. And so um, if people listen to me uh, on other podcasts maybe and, and um, in some of my writings and things like that and my, my posts on social media, they'll, they'll know that um, I firmly believe and, and research supports this, that, that um, a heart attack is, is caused by um, an imbalance, partly caused by an imbalance in our autonomic nervous system. So basically, when we get we get too stressed chronically, um, and uh, it kind of it downplays the parasympathetic aspect of our autonomic nervous system, which is the rest and digest relaxation state, and we get a dominance of the sympathetic one. Um, and so there's a few factors that that play a role in this, but when that autonomic nervous system signal is sent to the heart, it's supposed to be balanced. We're never supposed to have a sympathetic dominant signal without a concurrent, a lesser but um, um, but still um, quality signal of the parasympathetic. It's supposed to always balance itself out. And so if we get um, this chronic um, understimulation of the parasympathetic, and that's what people talk about when they're talking about stimulating their vagus nerve, they're really balancing it. They're not just stimulating it. Um, they're trying to find balance in it. Um, that it leads to the series of events that causes a heart attack and we get that imbalance. And it's really interesting how how humans are such uh, social beings, um, and and how one of the biggest things that does lead to balance in our autonomic nervous system is connection with each other, uh, you know, loving, meaningful relationships, uh, those types of things. Um, and we evolved to be, you know, in social groups, you know, of 150, 200 people um, for millions of years. Those were those were the types of groups that we were in. And, um, and so the other fascinating aspect of this is that when we're born, just like many things, I mean, humans made a, um, not really sacrifices, but, you know, we're born pretty helpless. Um, you know, we, we can't walk, we can't talk, we can't uh, fend for ourselves. So we're really dependent on our parents. And just uh, another way that we're dependent on our parents is that our autonomic nervous system, our vagus nerve is not fully developed when we're born. And the the proper development of that is dependent on direct contact with mom and dad um, and and gazing into uh, their eyes and looking at their face. Um, and hopefully their face is a very comforting one and not a, a, a traumatic one, um, because if it is a traumatic one, then that whole autonomic nervous system is going to develop in a way that makes it more susceptible to be imbalanced towards sympathetic. And it's it's no mistake that the vagus nerve, if you look at it, actually um, has some connections on its way up to uh, the brainstem um, to the muscles of facial expression. Not all of them, but it definitely goes to some of them. So our facial expressions are how we interpret someone else's emotional state and how we communicate our emotional state to someone else. And so what we're picking up from a mom and dad or whoever's around us when we're, you know, the first six months of age is having a direct impact on how our autonomic nervous system develops and how our emotional state is the rest of our life. So you talk about, um, you know, talk about nurture. Um, that's you know, nature versus nurture kind of thing. Uh, if we didn't get that proper environment as a child, um, 
then we're going to be set up for this autonomic nervous system imbalance later in life. And I would argue, put you at a predisposition to, to a heart attack is, um, um, as, uh, as long as some other things happen as well. Um, there's, there's more to it than just that when it comes to heart attack, but, but yeah, that's, that's the, the heart is kind of our, um, purveyor and regulator and interpreter of our emotional state. That's so interesting because I was actually reading recently about some of the studies that were conducted with water uh, by Maraso Emoto, um, where the emotional state can actually change the physical structure and the energy of the water. And that would also impact the ability of the heart to vortex. Um, yeah. with, with yeah, what yeah. you were saying there. So, so it's almost a, a perfect storm if you were raised in a way where your autonomic nervous system didn't develop the way that it was supposed to with an imbalance and then also carrying those emotions into adulthood um, and chronically having uh, the chemistry of, you know, depressive um, feeling sadness, anger, uh, that's affecting the energy of the water in the body, which is also affecting the vortex of the heart. Yeah. I mean, those first six months of life, we're supposed to be learning what safe feels like, because that needs to be our default, something we can always go back to. But if that never happens, um, then we don't have that default state to fall back onto. Um, but I have seen those, um, uh, the pictures where the, the emotions um, will, will change the structure of water and um, yeah, it, it, I think it definitely has an impact on the ability of our body to structure that water um, and create blood flow and, and all kinds of things. Um, because the other thing is that structured water is not just in the blood, it's found in cells as well. Um, so, so if you think about other ways to get structured water, like eating healthy animals, I think, and the structured water in their cells, you're going to get some of that. Um, uh, and then uh, Chris mentioned grounding. That's another way. So Derek, Dr. Pollock says that when your feet are in contact with the earth, your toes are 200 times more electronegative than your nose. Um, so we know we're gaining electrons, um, the energy that's required to, um, to structure that water. Uh, so, so yeah, this, this whole thing is just uh, complex, interconnected, and it just tells me that we're supposed to be in a natural environment. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to have plentiful, meaningful, loving relationships um, and support around us from, from day one. Uh, and that, um, the heart is, is way more than just cholesterol and, and, and saturated fat and heart attacks and coronary arteries. It's, it's so much more complicated and it's so much more beautiful. I think the whole thing, um, put together, is just fascinating and beautiful. It really is. And, uh, I am just so pumped for, uh, pun intended pump. Um, so, so pumped for uh, the rest of this series. I know in our next episode, we're going to discuss some of those myths and some of the ideas involved with cholesterol and saturated fat, but uh, just so glad to take a deep dive and, and just see, like you said, just the majesty of this system and to understand um how we are so much more interconnected with with nature than we would uh, like to believe so doc thank you so much we are so excited to continue with this heart health series uh for those who are new to you tell these guys how they could reach you yeah so my website is resourceyourhealth.com 
Uh, my blog is on there. My, my books are on there. Uh, that's how you can reach me for uh, health coaching if you're interested. Uh, and I'm also pretty active on social media uh, at uh, on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook uh, at Dr. Stephen Hussey, Dr. Stephen Hussey. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Hussey. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today, Mind Body Breakthrough. Chris and I truly appreciate each and every one of you. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend and to join us in our free Mind Body Breakthrough Facebook community where you can start peeling away the layers of everything that's not you so you can be you.